Uh, hello there, and welcome to the latest episode of the Sift Takers Snapshots podcast. Um, I'm Ben Hibbert, and I'll be your host this evening. Uh, joining me as usual, for now anyway, is Rich Pollock. Hello, mate. You might do a little backdoor shuffle later. <laughs> <laughs> Title of your sex tape. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll do any kind of shuffle, it's fine. <laughs> and we've also got uh, producer Tumbo Slice as well. Hello, good evening, or good morning, I guess. Tumbo. I thought it's been a while since I said something weird about you. Yeah. <laughs> so um, this is obviously our follow-up to the new rules. Um, we all played on Tuesday. Um, we're just going to chat about basically our findings, how we found it, that shenanigans. Uh, a little bit about list building and um, the new sort of OP rules that we've sort of got from Adapticon. Is it Adapticon or Adepticon? Adepticon. So it's uh, basically... Um... It's because it like started off as a big 40k event, I think, or certainly very 40k centric. So it's like oh. the Adeptus Mechanicus, Adeptus Astartes. But, yeah, I, I know what 40k, how it works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, should we start off with Tuesday then, how when we were playing games? Yep. So, me and Tim, we played through all three of the scenarios. Obviously, we left out the chance encounter because we played enough dogfights kind of we kind of know how that's goes anyway don't we mm -hmm. and rich you've played since the last podcast i know you played a couple of games on tuesday have you played anything else yeah i played a couple of online games as well so okay I've, cool I've done, I've done all of the scenarios now apart from again chance encounter because everybody when you say which scenario do you want to play they say oh, anything apart from chance encounter well because people want to try out the ones that feel a bit different or feel yeah, very yeah. different well that, well, that was it. So I, I've literally just uh, finished playing a game against Darren Granger and uh, we randomly chose Chance Encounter. And because it was like his first game, I said to him, I said, look, do you want to swap that? He's like, no, no, we'll play it. And that was quite nice to me because actually it was the first proper time that I've played it. So I do have a bit of feedback on that, which we can go over in a bit. Well, should we, do you want to start off with that? Because that's the one that we've, between us all, we've played the least. Yeah. I mean, it's probably the simplest one because like, essentially you've, uh, the, the, the other three, um, have five objectives and they have the, the same sort of setup for those five objectives. Whereas chance encounter, oh, actually, I tell a lie. Does uh, yeah, they all have five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so they're all set up the same. Yeah, yeah. So um, and that, so chance encounter is you have a single objective in the center of the board, and all it is at the in at the start of the end phase, uh, a player earns one mission point if they control the satellite. And a player controls a satellite if they are the only player with ships within naught to two. So essentially, it's a dogfight because you do get half points for ships in this game, uh, as long as you remember to keep a ship within naught to two of the center of the table, which is actually quite a big bubble. Um, so um, yeah, I think mission point wise, um, I don't think well, either no. either has got any mission points. What was that? Sorry, you get half points as long as you've got a ship. No, 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 no. So, oh. so, so you. This is the only mission that you get half points in. You get half points yeah. for um, uh, half points rounded down for halving a ship, and you yeah. get uh, half points rounding up for destroying a ship. Okay. Um, but at the end of the turn, if you are the only player with one ship within naught to two of the center of the board, you get a point. So essentially, oh, okay. yeah, it's 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 a dogfight as long as you remember to have a ship to contest the satellite or score it, but most likely contesting it. Um, I think me and Darren played. We only played about five or six turns um, because um, it ended badly for uh, a couple of his ships. 
Um, well, I've seen that picture of Sunfak. Well, yeah, like Sunfak went down early, and then obviously then Django got all the attention from. Uh, so I took my five tie advanced and send sister with thread tracers, uh, which is obviously a, a wholesome. Um, that, that's a that, that's a great way to get somebody back into the game who's been on a break for six months. Here, let oh. me do this degenerate nonsense. To well, you. yeah, but he he did run Django, Sunfak, and Grievous, so it wasn't like it, it wasn't like he took a, a fluffy list. And I if somebody deserves a boot stomping, it's Darren <laughs> Granger. I don't often feel sorry for him, but I feel a bit sorry for it. Now. Well, he was he was sorry because he'd uh, basically he he tracked it himself and then realised that. Uh, he, so he boosted, uh, and then realised he couldn't barrel roll as an action, and it's like, yeah, sad, uh, some fact. But anyway, um, <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a, essentially it is just a dog fight as long as you remember to keep scoring that middle one. So although, um, so Darren uh, managed to, uh, I think he managed to kill Seventh Sister because I actually uh, bumped myself at one point. So I took a damage. He then uh, seismicked her of the shield, and then Grievous killed her. Uh, and he did kill. A, he did kill an advance normally. I'd got, I think, Django and Sunfak, and so he said, "Well, we'll call it at this point." And I was up about, say, I don't know, fifteen seven or maybe like, I suppose about fifteen eight at that point. Um, but actually, like Grievous versus the four advance, there it's not game over because as long as he can keep stopping me scoring that middle point as long as grievous can stay within that you know that naught to two bubble of the center of the board um potentially grievous could claw it back he had half an hour on the clock it's tough but it you know um yeah it was, it was a very interesting game it's as i say it's um so it's a dog fight that obviously forces players to to be in the center of the board which is i think amg were you know they 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 were worried, weren't they, about people hiding at the back of the board, either fortressing or, um, yeah, not engaging. So this does force you to, you know, sort of at least yeah, you know, th think about engaging. Yeah, I think they don't want people toilet bowling, basically, for three or four turns um, flying around the outside. Um, but I don't know if this stops that, because if both players are circling, looking for a good engagement... Um, you might lose one point, but I think in this scenario, one point from somebody dipping a ship in early to snatch one victory point. Um, I'm not sure that matters overly in this in this scenario. Um, it could be, you know, the difference at the end of the game. But you know, if you're going to go in and half point a ship, and that's going to net you three or four points, then losing that one point is is irrelevant. Um, so yeah, it's um. I think it's, it puts an interesting spin on it because people who are good at playing keep away and, you know, three aces running down up, you know, different sides of the board, then, you know, collapsing into the middle to gank one thing and then disappearing again. If you try and do that and they just take the middle of the board with something, um, then, you know, very, very quickly the points start to rack up as you go through turns. But, um, and I think of any of the scenarios once people get used to the size of lists and the number of triggers and all that kind of stuff, which is what takes a lot of the time trying to work through all of the interactions available in the bigger lists now. Um, I think this scenario will have the um, have the most turns. Um, so, you know, you'll have the most opportunity to get a, a resolution to a game. But um, I think the volume of ships in squads now is, is going to just cause there to be a, an overall reduction in the number of turns in a game. But... I think the scenario is impacted by it the least. 
I think it's an interesting uh, scenario to have as well because it is so different to the other three. Like and 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 perhaps this is to balance out for the aces and you know your three big ship type lists that yeah. you know it's not all about you know holding five objectives or you know contesting five objectives. So um, like you you can literally set up a ship at, what um, on your your range one band right in the middle do a two forward and you're probably contesting that objective turn one so you don't have to go anywhere near it um and then like you say yeah just skirt around so i think it's good to have varied missions because otherwise you you either will see uh, a particular archetype dominate or you'll see particular archetypes just you know not relevant because you know if if they're going to struggle in all the missions then you know that's not good for the game yeah absolutely agree with that absolutely so, should we talk about the uh, the area control one? I can't remember any of the names. I know that's <laughs> I've, I've, I'm, I'm expecting array. Rich to remember them all because he's a assault massive nerd. On, assault on the satellite <laughs> array is this one. Oh, well, you so, know, equally, you could just have the document open in front of you like I have. I so. could do that, but it's more interesting <laughs> for me to insult Rich. <laughs> um, it's more interesting for you to sound like a fool. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, I mean, I play the play the fool. Until it, until it matters. Shall, shall um, we? Shall we just um, go over the placing obstacles I'm, rules once? Just going to try oh, and mate. say, but so basically, this is the one where you have to um, stay in range one of the objectives, don't we? So small small ship gets one, big ship gets two. So let's try and describe something entirely visible, visual <laughs> in well, an audio medium. Uh, well, what I will say is, having just played a game on TTS, a big shout out to Flipster and the crew. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed, they've actually put uh, they've they've modded it since I played it earlier in the week. So yeah. now, when you're placing obstacle uh, objectives two to five, uh, a white line now appears when it's out of range or you know out of its range zone. When you're placing obstacles now on TTS, you do your right-click place objective for the first one, and then when you're placing the rest of them, if you hover the like, drag the objective onto the board, if you've got no white lines, you can basically place it, and so that cuts out all what we're about to talk about. Yeah. So for TTS, so um, so basically, we we spent ages on Tuesday because there was the three of us plus a bunch of the other Sith takers, um, and. A lot of the guys just hadn't looked at version two at all, hadn't thought about it. George were down to give it, you know, kind of the first try. And uh, we find that it was very, very, I find it relatively straightforward to explain how you placed obstacles as long as one person understood all of it. <laughs> but if yeah. you had two people reading the instructions, trying to model it through. So the instructions aren't very clear because we, we said previously they use within range two to four of your board edge at range three of the central satellite and outside of or beyond sorry range two of another satellite Mm. so it it basically because they use the three different phrasings it gets a little bit tricky but once you know where you can place them it becomes very easy because within range two to four basically means anywhere outside of your deployment zone outside of your half one, of yeah. the board yeah. it's basically outside of range one of your side of the board um and on, and on your half of the board it's a little bit shy 
because the middle of the board is range four and a half. So you have to be half of a board length inside it. So you can place one right on the edge of your deployment zone. And then you can place the one that you've got to put on your opponent's side of the board um, at about range five from your edge of the board, about range four from their edge of the board. So you can place obstacles really in quite different places. When I first looked at it, I thought, well, there's only about two inches where they can fit. But then I realized that within range two to four of your board, board edge, or at range two to four of your board edge, sorry, um, includes just outside range one. It doesn't have to be between range two and range four. It can be between range one and range four because something that's just beyond range one is still at range two. Um, so that was the use of the word at. Um, uh, and this is, it's terribly difficult to actually explain it in a rational and sensible way that makes sense. Um, but um, I would recommend that people sit with a bunch of range rulers and, um, you know, spend some time thinking about where can I place it. I mean, um, the, the good thing is you have to place two objectives. Each player places two objectives. And it's exactly the same placement rules. It, the second one is purely within two to four or within range two to four of your opponent's board edge. So at least yeah. that doesn't change greatly. So once you get your head, head around how to place one objective, it's only that which side of the board it's going on. Um, yeah. And where you place it may change greatly. Like you may want the one on your board edge to be quite deep um, towards your board edge and you want, may want... Uh, the one on your opponent's side quite close to the middle of the table. Uh, but once you get round it, then hopefully yeah, it should should all um, work. Yeah. So th I, think, I think the theory is that each player sets up a home objective in inverted commas. Mm -hmm. um, so you get one that you put near your side of the board that you can immediately capture, drop something on, turn whatever it is that you need to do, pick up whatever the scenario is. So you each get one. Then there's the one that's completely in the middle that everybody's challenging for. And then the other ones that you set up, because you have to set them up closer to your opponent, you can then either say, well, I'm going to split your forces by giving you an objective that's far away from where you've put your own home objective, but close to your side of the board. So you're thinking about, do you want to split your forces to get it? Or I'm going to bring it right up as close to me as I physically can so that I can dive up and contest that. So you could end up notionally with essentially a straight line of three across the middle. Not quite. They're a little bit offset on a bit of a diagonal. And then like two centrally in the middle at like basically range one of the board edge. Um, or, you know, you can end up with them really like pushed quite close to each other. So it is quite dynamic. And I didn't, when I first read it, I thought there was nowhere basically that they could go that was interesting. Um, but they can go into what would be the gutters on the side. They can go right down towards the deployment zones. Um, you can basically be like really, really close to the middle of the board as well. So there's, and, and I think it's interesting where you place them because depending what list you're flying, you might want, you know, to tempt your opponent to split forces or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I think there is a strategic thought um, about where these things go. And I think range zero is now, uh, not range zero, turn so, zero is now no. much more important than it used to be. No, and it was always yeah. important. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think probably also the next thing to then talk about is obstacles because um, obstacles are then placed after objectives. Obstacles are placed exactly like they used to be, but you can't overlap 
an objective. But you could you be the big rock in the middle. No, it's made me really sad that because whenever I go um, for slap it in the middle, boof, have that. Yep. But I'm going to put it just yeah. to the side. It's not as satisfying. But <laughs> what you can do is you could potentially use it to shield objectives or make it tricky for your opponent to maybe um, like try and try and land. Or what I try to do because in our games I was running Nim with Trajectory Simulator and Seismic. Um, I also made sure that uh, you know there was at least two objectives around like those those middle objectives around the middle of the table so that, yeah. that I could try and like throw a, 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 sim, a, a seismic charge forwards and then try and use the bombs to try and defend, um, you know, the space or, or, you know, sort of frustrate Ben a bit. Um, yeah. So, yeah, like you say, turn, turn zero has always been massive and even more so now with, you know, uh, you know where you're going to be putting your objectives. Did you did you guys notice subconsciously that you spread your rocks out among the obstacles, like the the not the obstacles, the objectives? Yeah, the objectives were almost subconsciously influencing you to say there's something in this zone of the board. So put your we, rock. Somewhere. We actually spoke about that after because me and Tim we we played three games, but we took our time and we talked through things. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, we were play, after, playing for about we, six hours, weren't we? Yeah, yeah, um, and. We did stop for a little snack in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> but after we'd placed the first rocks, we sort of commented on the fact that we'd both tried to stop it being easy for each other mm-hmm. rather than what we would have usually <clears throat> necessarily looked at first. I think maybe we were a bit over... In, in the, yeah. in the, fir- the, in the fir- um, obstacle... Not the obstacle, sorry. The, the uh, scenarios. Yeah. The objectives. I, I certainly was like that in game one and game two, and then I think I'd realised yeah. by game three it doesn't really matter, uh, and so I, I think game three I was a little bit more haphazard with my, my my placement. Still, still thinking roughly. Like for me, it wasn't so much the objectives. For me, like I say, it was more to do with Nim and the trajectory simulator and my seismic yeah. charges that had a bit more of a bearing. Um, but I still think like you you can't completely disregard where you're putting your obstacles in relation to objectives, but I don't think it's that crucial. No, I don't. We can't. We couldn't stop each other realistically getting to any of them, really. So, I mean, there there is a point here, isn't there, where you can actually use objectives to prevent your opponent from putting an obstacle somewhere where you don't want there to be an obstacle. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. you know, if you would normally stick an obstacle at, you know, two in from the board edge and three up from your deployment zone or from your opponent's deployment zone so that you could stop that two forward and then, the, you know, banking into the middle. So you're blocking that lane for the banking and making them do something different. You stick an, you stick an obstacle, <laughs> stick an objective there, and suddenly they, they, they can't put a rock right there. You know, they can't put it right next to the objective. There's nothing stopping them from doing that. But you can, you can like, clear lanes and stuff that you want to be able to fly through later on. And it, I think it's interesting. For me, it's interesting. Yeah, no, I, I think, like, you know, perhaps it'll be interesting as well with the new obstacle rules. Perhaps it'll change what obstacles people take. Um, mm-hmm. like, like, in the past, I was always, like, I used to take debris because I wasn't too fussed by the stress. Um, like If I wanted to put my swarm through it, I'd, I'd just go through it and take the stress. And I'd only take a damage one in eight, whereas now I take a damage 50% of the time with debris. But if I go for a rock, I take, yes, I take one automatic and then a 50% chance of another one, but I get to do an action on the other side if I, if I don't overlap the obstacle. 
So yeah. it might change how I actually, um, what obstacles I take. And do you take big or small obstacles? I think at the moment, a lot of people, because of the objective play, are taking big obstacles because they think like, like you know, we were thinking like you can shield objectives. Um, but maybe that will change as people start to play a few more games and, and realise perhaps it's not as important. I mean, something Jason pointed out, Jason was using um, his old 3N1 list, but, you know, he got a bonus-free Obi-Wan Kenobi <laughs> and Manetta um, added to it. Um, and uh, he pointed out that, you know, he was like, wait a minute, why have I not put collision detector on these things? Yeah. You know, it's nine points, but they can take it, and they've all got enough points for it, the ones that he was using, have all got enough points for it. He was like probably don't need torps i just need collision detector and then i can just zoom around but we were using we were doing this um the salvage the towing one yeah. um, the salvage mission um which was like yeah if you had collision detector on n1s in that you'd just be you know you'd be invincible essentially you would just zoom in grab them zoom off <laughs> collision detector your way across rocks and you know ah, you can't chase me um or park yourself behind rocks and you know that kind of stuff so um but yeah, he was. Um, that, that was an interesting one. We'll come. We'll come to that one later on. Um, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like satellite array is probably the simpler of the three. So the uh, the objectives stay there for the uh, where they are for the entire game, and simply put at the in the end phase, uh, whoever um, so whoever controls the satellite scores a mission point. A player controls the satellite if they have more ships at naught to one of the satellite than the other player. And when determining control of a satellite, medium and large ships count as two ships. Um, and that was quite interesting because um, I deliberately took uh, a large ship and three, uh, sorry, two medium uh, bases um, because obviously I think, like looking at shipbuilding and, and and the objectives, you assume that five and six ships at lists, like small ships, are going to be good. Therefore, I didn't want to take that against Ben. I wanted to see how bigger and medium uh, bases or larger medium bases do. Um, so, yeah, that did come up quite a bit where, obviously, Ben might have, like, he had two of his Jedi, but then I had a medium ship, so it was contested. But then I think there was one time where I had a medium ship, but Ben had his lat and a small ship. So he ended up essentially having three. I had two. But Ben scores it, so it was quite interesting to think about tactically where I was placing ships to to try and obviously wrestle control of these satellites. Yeah, and it's the same with the obstacles on that one, I think, as well, because if you can, not the ob obstacles. Ugh, too many words beginning with O. The <laughs> objectives, because when you're placing the objectives, you can place them at exactly range two of each other, um, and that means that a large, well, basically any base can notionally control two of them, but it's easier to position a. Um, a large base to be sitting across um, and be within range one of both of them you know it gives you an awful lot more wiggle room um and it's interesting to me that you can you know if you've got a ship that can do multiple stops for example for whatever reason um you know you've got leia or you've got hera or you've got you know whatever something that allows you to to stop your ship multiple times you can put yourself in a position where you're scoring two points with that ship and then just sit there for a few turns until you run out of the ability to do it and then you know fly forward one forward and then stop start stopping again you know so there's a bunch of things that you can do cleverly in different scenarios um that enables you to do zonal control but efficiently so that instead of being like oh right i need to control three zones so that's going to use three of my five ships so i've only got two free ones to run around and try and kill stuff with you're like how about what if 
I can control two zones with one chip. I wonder if there's a way to get three zones with one chip. There probably is. If they were placed in exact in an exact triangle, you could park right in the middle of it. And just <laughs> be like, yeah, I'll have all of these with this one big base ship. It's fine. Yeah, um, I mean that, that might be something that maybe comes out uh, in future. Like, you know, is that intentional that a, a ship can hold more than one objective or score one? Um, we don't know at the moment. I, at, at the moment, there's nothing stopping them, so it's certainly a viable tactic. And I think it certainly balances uh, large ships versus like multiple small ships for for them to be able to do that. Yeah. I think as well this this scenario showed me that you can't just play the scenarios because I think I went in quite hard on scenarios the first game and we ended up calling it didn't we like turn four was it uh it was a fairly early one so like so the way I thought the big ships had to play is I felt I had to be killing stuff like yeah. I, I needed to make sure that not only was I taking guns off the table but I was scoring those kill points to because yeah. to, to, I knew that you were always going to outscore me. Certainly in this one, it's slightly different in the uh, uh, the other two missions, but this one because this all relied around holding over quite a, a large space of the board, uh, you could always outscore me. Because I think um, what just um, roughly should we just roughly describe our list just so the listeners can obviously understand what we're playing with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I had I had four Jedi, didn't I? I had Mace, Luminaire. Ahsoka and Barris, uh, Barris and Hawk in the lat. Yeah, with... For anybody that doesn't speak Ben, he means Luminara. <laughs> yeah. What did I say? Luminara, who's the character from Beauty and the Beast. Oh yeah, we're a Disney family. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but Star Wars is Disney as well. Come on. Yeah, like I said, we're a Disney family. <laughs> it didn't start out that way, but yeah. also um, Marvel is as well, and I'm a big Marvel fan. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so you had uh, four Jedi and the Hawk. Um, I can't remember what upgrades they had on him, to be honest. I, I don't think that's that important. Like, so no. I, I, I took Ketsuit because I felt the um, the tractor shenanigans might be good. Maybe there'd be a time where I could actually... So I can't track you onto rocks and stuff now, but maybe I could track you out of scoring range. So that's kind of why I took that. And plus, I, I've not flown... Uh, as we've realised, I've not flown my Shadowcaster since first edition. I was uh, just about to throw shame on you about that. The fact that you still had the version 1 base plate on it. And it might have been just because I was lazy in a, in a previous game and I've never changed it. But yeah, it was, it was quite funny to pull it out of the box and like, oh yeah, that's the wor- version 1 base plate. So uh, so I had um, that. I had Nim in the Skurg. Um, as I say, um, Nim was more for my um, sort of defensive and controlling piece to try and with the perhaps the seismics and being able to hold that for a bit. And even in later, um, in some turns, actually, I dropped a proton bomb on my home objective and then held that to stop Ben perhaps sending a Jedi over. Just like, um, like in one of our games, Barris went down to one hole. I didn't want her just flying away, away from my ships, just to go and hold an objective. So I left a bomb there, uh, and then I actually took the uh, the Mandalorian, um, and that was a lot of fun uh, to take the Mandalorian. I must say. Want to want to talk about your little shenanigans because that was quite an interesting combo. Uh, so the the first shenanigan, um, well, the main shenanigan I used. Um, so I took the Razor Crest title, which allows you to conceal an illicit card below it. So I concealed false transponder codes. Um, and then that way, Ben couldn't trigger that prematurely. Um, and then I took Mandalorian Optics. Um, and essentially, Razor Crest in the system phase, you can reveal the illicit. And then Mandalorian Optics is, uh, I think it's in the system phase, you can lock an object in your front arc. 
So what I do is in the system phase, I reveal false transponder codes. I then use Mandalorian op optics to take the lock, which then obviously triggers false transponders, which gives the target lock, uh, so the jam. Um, and although I was playing against Jedi who had force, I think uh, there was a couple of times of stopping Ben taking that green token was massive um, from, from a defensive point of view. Um, I did take expert handling on uh, both of them, uh, on Nim and on um, uh, Mando, uh, but we can talk about list building later just because I had so many yeah, points yeah. to spend with Mando. Mando. He had <laughs> nine upgrade cards, I think, uh, 10 if you include the force transponder codes or something like that. Um, uh, and then Ketsu was just uh, built to be a bully, so I think he was just like fearless, uh, contraband, uh, had a force. So I took force users on Mando and Ketsu because of the uh, Rain Zero modification only being force. So I thought that was quite important as well. Anyway, yeah. So that's... we're going to move on to another objective. So we're going on to salvage mission because I've managed to open it myself this time. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> one, one thing to actually probably talk about is victory conditions as well. Um, so uh, the victory conditions are at the end of the, at, at the end of the end phase. If only one player has ships remaining, they win the game immediately. At the end of the end phase, if one player has twenty or more mission points and has more mission points than their opponent, the game ends. So essentially, if you're not tied over twenty, whoever is over twenty with the highest score wins. Um, at the end of the twelfth round, the game ends. But I don't think I think the highest we got to was probably about seven or eight. I don't think we got that yeah, far. Yeah, I think that was probably was the highest. Um, and then at the end of the game, if both players have at least one ship remaining in the play area, the player with the most mission points wins. So I guess if that is... Um, if it like ends on time, I guess... I guess that's put in ah, for time. Oh, yeah, or time or 12 rounds. Um, so essentially, it's a, it's a race to 20, essentially, isn't it? Because yeah. um, you're probably not going to wipe your opponent out because cause we're building 20-point lists. Um, you're going to trigger the 20 point anyway. And if you've got some mission points, which you should, probably the only one you may not get any mission points in is Chance Encounter. Um, but yeah, I think, um, yeah. yeah, generally it's race to tw 20. Which, so anyway, yeah. so um, Salvage Mission is, it sets up all the missions with the objective set up the same way, basically. Yep. With the same rules. But in this one, you can, you can move your ship towards one of the objectives and perform a tow action. And then I can't remember exactly. It says you can't. So when you're towing, you can't perform slam actions. You can't be coordinated. Um, it says you can't do advanced maneuvers. Well, so so this is the. But then just just one minute. Yep. Then later on it says if a ship must perform an advanced maneuver, it immediately jettisons its um, supply cache. So, so it's kind of the rules are going. We're not really sure which way it's going to end up going. That well, this is an interesting one. So, like me and Darren were just chatting about this as well when I was explaining the, like the different rules to him, and so it's a bit, it's a bit of confusion. I know Scott and Hexard was a bit confused by the, the sentence as well, and it is so. While a ship is towing a supply cache, it cannot execute advanced maneuvers. So, advanced maneuvers are anything that basically aren't straight banks or hard turns. So, stops, K turns, um, talons, sloops, but it says cannot execute. So, can you dial in? An advanced maneuver but you can't execute it and then does that trigger the next part of the sentence which is if a ship must perform an advanced maneuver it immediately jettisons a supply cache because i i can't think of a situation where you must 
perform an advanced maneuver? So you must perform the way I think it well, will. You, so you must perform the maneuver that's on your dial, yeah. unless you've got some way to change your dial, which you don't anymore because they've changed it. But there's been two rules rulings on this by two separate judge groups, and they're ruling it differently. So Hexiled with Maui and a bunch of the other um, judges from the big online events have ruled that you drop your cash and then you do the you do the advanced maneuver because that's what you've dialed in. So you jettison your cash and then you do the advanced maneuver anyway. What's been ruled, I believe, for Adepticon by Chris Allen, who's the marshal for that event, is that you dial it in because you cannot execute that maneuver. It's the same as dialing in a red maneuver while stressed. So you execute a white two forward. So they've both ruled differently. Um, So whichever event you're going to, make sure that you check with your TO before you go as to what the rules are, um, because until AMG officially clarify what the uh, what the correct interpretation of the rule is, um, then who knows, basically. It, but yeah, so my, my sort of two pence on it, I think the Maui ruling is correct. As rules as written, I think that is what they're saying, because what does the second line mean? You know, if it must perform advanced maneuver. Now, that could only be if they're future-proofing these rules for something in the future, or like, say, ships that can change their dials and stuff like that, but most of those have been banned anyway. Um, so I think, yeah, it's it's not written that well, so it it does need an FAQ. If 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 the intention is that you can't dial an advanced maneuver, then that needs uh, changing. Yeah, yeah. So I know that um, the people who are doing the rules forums, Dean and Chris, are aware of the query because, you know, they're keyed into the community and people have asked the question on the forums. So, you know, hopefully it'll hit the um, the next ver- the next version of the errata. So there has been an errata to the errata, by the way, um, for anybody <laughs> listening. Um, if you downloaded the initial change set of rules um, and you haven't been back since, there is a new version, which has um, been updated again to remove some what were called obvious errors um, in, in, what, in what they put in. So there was... Um, what was it? It was they had uh, accidentally put. Um, you can't shoot at range zero. Yeah, and they've um, given Maris off an extra force parts. on the errata card, um, and a few other things. But they've basically gone in and corrected a bunch of stuff. So yeah. Um, yeah so anyway, so on this scenario, this was yeah. the one I think I had the most fun with. The salvage one, the toy yeah. one. Yeah, I liked. It was a bit more. Like sometimes, just the cargo like pinged off and it was fun so mm-hmm. they start scattered out there wasn't although we didn't me and tim played this one second so we played the um i forgot what it's called now we played them in order didn't we so yeah we played assault yeah. assault on the satellites first yeah and then this one so we left all the objectives still where they were just to save time um but then obviously they become scattered all over the place and that was fun um yeah I, mean, I think that's it. Like, there's, there's a lot more chaos going on. So, like yeah. with, this, with this one and scramble then transmissions, you've you've got a new action now called a scenario action, and it specifically says that this is uh, performed in the ship's activation during the activation phase. Um, so essentially, it can't be used at any other time. So you can't be coordinated this action. You can't use like a soaker or or other things like that. Um, but you can use those actions at other times. Um, to do other actions until you pick up the cash, because once you're holding a crate, you can't be coordinated. Um, so if you get your activation order right, you can, like like Night Beast, for example, can execute a blue maneuver, 
does a focus action and then can do his action to pick up the crate. Um, and you basically, um, naught to one uh, of, of a cache, you then place the cache on your card and that ship is then carrying the cache. Uh, whilst you're carrying the cache, uh, we've always said you can't uh, obviously execute advanced maneuvers. You can't slam, can't coordinate. Um, but you can choose at the end of your activation to jettison. Equally, if you suffer a critical damage or are destroyed, you jettison. And it's your opponent that places the jettison cargo. Um, so that can be quite tactical about where you want, like maybe the, sh the ship order. So you don't want to put it in front of them because they'll just run over it and pick it up next turn. So do you put it behind or where, where your ships may go? Yeah. I can't, we didn't configure a reason why you would jettison your own. Well, so because I, I just because you want to do a K turn next turn. Yeah, so that's what I did is because because I felt that I I couldn't do the K turn whilst holding it. I actually jettisoned one turn with the Mando, so that I then could four K the next turn. Um, but it's it's yeah. It depends I... on which way it ends up being ruled, done it. I suppose. Yeah, because so the way it works is that you score at one point in the end phase for each uh cash a friendly ship is holding so it's actually quite massive like if because mando jettisoned there i didn't score it in the end phase and i think that's probably the way they want it to work because then it's a tactical choice to jettison the cargo so that i can then do the k turn the next turn whereas otherwise i could hold it score it and then dial the k turn next turn jettison for one of my other ships to then pick it up i guess but it's also interesting that we, we, when we were playing, you tried to jettison and then realised that I got to put it where I wanted yeah, rather than the other way around. Because I could understand if maybe if you could decide to jettison it and put it where you want. So I don't know. It, it depends, doesn't it, what the K-turn ruling is. Um, but, I, I I do kind of like the idea that you just can't do it because I think it's funny. Yeah, and, and it was very restrictive for my medium ships not being yeah. able to do... Because um, I was... Uh, obviously i've got the lowest ship count so i need to make sure that m all my guns are firing make sure my arcs are firing um the mando was out of the game for you know the back half of the game because he couldn't do a k-turn um or or, or talent um so it was just basically just chugging along um holding his crate and it's like actually do, did i did i really want to be scoring one point a turn or did i want to do a k-turn to try and kill a ship um so yeah it was um yeah hot shot blaster yeah, or whatever it's called. Well, that that's it. Like Nim had a dorsal turret, um, you know. So that you know, perhaps that's something to think about, like increasing that fire arc, so that you can, um, you know, try and keep you know sort of your limited uh, guns on target. I mean, this game was super close. It literally came down to yeah. to, to the last engagement, um, and I got very lucky to kill Mace off um, before Mace got to shoot Ketsu, and because I killed Mace, um, I then scored enough points in the end to take me over 20 and ahead of you because Ketsu was on one hole. So you were going to kill Ketsu and that was going to get you seven points. And that was kind of the big thing I found with the large ships was the, the cost of my ships was such a big swing that once you got to 13 points, I was, well, even like less than that, it could even be like 11 or 12. If you're going to score a crate or a satellite, um, you could essentially win the game there and then. If you if you killed Ketsu, you get seven points of that. Then a, a couple of others. It's like, well, that's quite a big swing, you know. And and yeah, took took the game to like a real knife edge at, at that point. Mm. 
Yeah, I guess they can be really dominant, can't they? The um the big ships, you know, because like I was looking at um Matt was playing Ray, Poe, and um a couple of fillers, and um he had so much front-loaded damage potential out of Ray and Poe that it was terrifying because if you put anything near his ships, they could just get erased with the you know the output that those two ships have. Um, but one's worth eight and one's worth seven, so either of them goes down, and you know the the game's basically over for him because he he can't do enough with whatever is left. Um, to actually win the game, and that was that was something I found when I played this mission. I, so I played this mission against Jason, um, and I was using um, two Y wings, Republic two Y wings, um, and then like uh, you have Anakin. No, not even no, because Jason had Anakin, Padme, Rick, and Obi, and I had so he had the the three N ones plus an Etta. Oh, I had it. Yeah, no, I had Anakin in the Etta. That's right, I did. I had yeah. Anakin in the Etta. Then I had. Goji and R2D2 to try out Trajectory Simulator Goji shenanigans, which I never got to try out because Jason refused to joist me, which was very rude. What a um, coward. Then Contrail, and then something else. I can't remember what my, my other ship was um, at the minute. And um, in, in this mission, basically, I discovered that I think the N1s might actually be the perfect chassis for this scenario um, because he had R2 on them, so he was regen. Um, and he zoomed in. Had his free action to take an evade token, so he he, he had a mod for defense. Um, then he picked up the crate with his normal action, and then after that he could just keep doing three speed moves and having focus evade, um, and just doing a three speed move and having focus evade. And then when you finally chipped some damage into him, he could just regen because he didn't actually care about killing ships um, because he had three of the crates. And I couldn't push crits onto him because he had focus of aid. Um, so I was just like, oh, and I, and I had a bunch of two dice guns and he kept, you know, he, he was flying really, really well. And then when he got the opportunity to push damage in, he had Duke and he had his evade tokens and he had plasma torps. So he was, you know, doing a bit of thing. And I was like, oh, well, I've got a one dice attack and no focus token. So let me just uh, let me just roll this dice pointlessly because whatever I roll, you're going to duke it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so yep, yeah, and, and just you know pushing damage through. And in the end, I couldn't push any damage on him. Um, Anakin got tied up in one corner, um, trying to kill Rick, um, unsuccessfully for basically the duration of the game. And um, yeah, it was um, it was pretty scary to be honest, seeing how effective the N ones were. So after a few weeks ago, you were laughing at me for owning however many of them I have, four or five, whatever, <laughs> um, it might actually be sensible because I, I genuinely think specifically for this scenario, I'll talk about it a bit later on about the difference between them, um, but specifically for this scenario, they are a really, really good choice. And I think for the area control one as well, because, you know, you can just zoom around. If something's contested by lots of ships, they've got the speed to just fly off um, and contest a different one instead. Um, and if you can win games by not engaging, that's that, that doesn't feel like it. It's hitting um, AMG's stated design goal. You know, <laughs> they they had a stated design goal to make sure that people were um, engaging and you know rolling dice, and that's why you know we've got the objectives to force you to do that. But if you can zip in, pick three up, and then just disappear, then um, yeah, it's a bit. I guess so. Like saying, like you said before, though this this scenario sort of keeps aces relevant. It does. Like, th yeah, this no, is absolutely. this is an aces 
not necessarily easier to win, but they have more of a chance on this one than say the the area um, one. Oh yeah, so if, if you're probably you piled... only going to have three little ships against whatever you know. Exactly. If you've piled up, um, say six or seven, um, two dice guns, because most of the factions I think can somehow put a six or seven ship list together, but it's you know all little pea shooters. Um, but if you've managed to do that, then aces will be saying, yeah, fancy this. I can't stop all the shots, but the shots that are hitting me are going to be two dice plinkers from range three, um, and I'll have some tokens, so I should be fine. And you don't get half points, so they're fine if they take one or two hits. You know, doesn't matter if they go to half. Um, and then, you know, they get to the point where they're on 15 points, and then that's the point where they just dive into the middle and smash something. And that's when, you know, and take the win that way. Because, you know, I've got 15 points in three caches. So I can just dive in now and smash something and that's it. Done. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they, they definitely this scenario hugely benefits aces, fast chips that can disengage and just not give up points and not be shot at. Or if they are shot at, have multiple mods. So, yeah. Yeah. I but, felt like I mean... couldn't win this scenario, I'll be honest. And that's something that I have noticed with them is that lists are very relevant to what, in in that game against Jason with the list I yeah, had, yeah. the list he had, I felt like it would have been a real victory for me had I actually managed to pull it off. Um, yeah, it seemed very much like that old 1.0 where you'd actually lost at the list building stage. Yeah, I think so. And there was not a lot you could do to counter that. Yeah, I think I needed to. I, I there was I, I had a win. I had to leverage Anakin better. I didn't. I made a mistake at the very start that forced Anakin to go into a corner where he didn't want to be, um, and because of that, you know, I was unable to. I was unable to push the victory. Uh, well, I was no, unable to push any damage on anything. Um, one change in that movement, then it would, might have been different. But you, you can never tell. You know, when you know you've made a mistake on turn two, um, <laughs> you know, it's like, well, what what happens if if he, I hadn't done that? <laughs> it's like you know well yeah. if you hadn't done that then it would have been a completely different game uh, you know so um That's but you might still have the same outcome what was you just trying to say tim before i move on to the next uh, one uh, yeah i just gonna say obviously there's an interesting mechanic which is which is um if you suffer a critical damage uh you jettison as well which is why i thought the tie advance would be very good at this mission with the advanced targeting computer um but i did actually notice rich that you were running republic y-wings um and yeah. they have a chassis ability that allows you to roll a crit down to a hit until you've suffered yeah. critical damage so was that part of your thinking um no maybe. no okay. uh, well no i mean yeah the the logic is there it doesn't work against the tie advanced because no, of no. the order of modification but against like random crit results coming out from um you know out of hand yeah they're brilliant at holding on to these things once they get them um on on that point though selfless is a very powerful mechanic um and enduring is yeah. also a powerful mechanic and beskar is another new powerful mechanic. And there are things that prevent you from taking crits. Um, and that they become really good in this scenario because they mean that you don't drop the crit if you've got it. Um, you know, because it doesn't have to be, it's it's worth saying it doesn't have to be a crit damage that you take. Like you don't have to have a face-up damage card applied to your ship. Um, you suffer critical damage whether it goes on shields or not. Um, but you know, the, the shield makes it less bad, obviously. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's basically if there's an uncancelled crit result on the dice, um, or somehow applied to your ship, so a proton bomb, 
um, or anything like that. You know, if if that uncancelled crit result on the dice um, is being resolved by you, then you're dropping whatever you're carrying. Um, and honestly, one of the things I noticed with Jason was obviously I got him to drop one of the crates that he had, and I thought, brilliant, I can nip in and grab that with Barris. That was my other ship, Barris Offy. Um, and I was like, no, you can't. Why? Oh, she's already carrying one. Mm. <laughs> so the ship that was in the position to get it. Um, wherever I dropped it was um, was the one that couldn't pick it up, and the other ships were the Y wings, so they were too slow. Basically, I couldn't get things in before Jason could get his his N ones round because um, the Y wings were too clumsy. Um, I didn't fly it brilliantly, I will admit. I, I flew it pretty poorly, but um, Jason flew it very well. And um, yeah, it's it's an, I think it's definitely you're right, Ben. It's the most interesting of the scenarios because it feels like there's a bit more cut and thrust and a bit more play to it. Cool. So should we um, move on to Scrambled and Transmissions? Yeah. Mm. So this one, again, sets up the same way. They, all those set up the same way. It's quite, to be honest, I, I quite like that they all set up the same way. It helps you get your head around it, doesn't it? Yeah. So, you know, it's, yeah. it's the same, except the um, dogfight. So, so in this one, after you place the objectives, you basically move towards them, range 0 to 1, and you perform an action and claim it. Um, and then if it's already claimed and someone tries to claim it, you have to roll a dice. And if, as long as you don't roll a blank, you claim it. If not, it just becomes blank. Um, th- this one, although I, I actually won this one against him, th- this is the one I had the least fun in. Yeah. So, uh, like, so the personally. yeah. So the objectives don't get removed. So the objectives stay where they are for the entire game. Um, so what it does allow you to do is it once you've claimed it. Um, using a scenario action you can then move off and then sort of play the game as such um but yeah it it was all right i mean again it's generally we we each held two of our own objectives and then it was just the middle one wasn't it that was kind of you know yeah i i I claimed it initially uh and then you took it off me at some point during the game so um mission points were like quite even through this game um but i suppose that's something you need to think about with turn zero is to make sure that you can claim at least two um and then it was kind of just a dogfight at that point wasn't it i think that this one though we i think we only played four rounds and then had one yeah so i think Um, yeah this this is a weird one because it actually got to a point where you were holding three objectives you'd got to 17 for score i failed to kill mace so you actually went to your engagement and went, well, there's no point in me shooting. I've won the game. Yeah. And it was like, okay, yeah, well, GG, you know, sort of. It just, it didn't feel like a satisfying win to me. I, I think that the the thing with this one is it's it's been well thought through because in order to scramble the transmissions, first of all, it's not 100% guaranteed success. You might just yeah. send it neutral. You might not get yeah. control of it. Secondly, it takes an action which means that the vast majority of ships will be um, tokenless um, as a result of taking the action. You know, there are ways to get actions and, you know, passive mods and all this kind of stuff. Um, So I think that this is one of those, um, this is one of those scenarios where you're kind of thinking, do I list build into this one and get a bunch of passive actions or do I actually just try and win by dogfight? Because if I fly in and you've left a ship without any mods because you've been scrambling transmissions to get the, the satellites on your side, so you're getting victory points, but then you're tokenless, 
So I can fly in and just have tokens instead and then win the trade because you're rolling natural dice and I'm modifying. Yeah. Um, I should win. Um, I might not, and then I can be salty, but I should win. Um, and then once one of your ships is dead or you're in a position where you're having to disengage to come back around again, then I'm like, okay, now this is a safe turn. Now I start scrambling transmissions. So th- there's an interesting counterplay in this scenario, I think, that you don't necessarily want to be grabbing the objectives to start off with, but you want to leave yourself in a position where you can get them the next turn or the couple of turns after that um, if you get opportunity and you get freebies. And I think this is one of the ones where somebody who's quite slow um, or quite methodical, somebody like an AP5, um, where you can go in, you can coordinate somebody, you know, everybody's going to put K2SO on AP5 now. So he's always got a calculator of his own anyway now, because you might as well, because, you know, you've yeah, got yeah. the points to do it. Um, so he's going to go in, he's going to coordinate somebody, but maybe not. Maybe I'll just, I'll just K2SO, uh, I'll just um, noodle over there and um, just scramble that transmission. And then, you know, you're thinking, well, do I go and deal with that initiative one? <laughs> is she the beach shuttle hanging at the back or do I worry about everything else that's in front of me? Um, so, you know, that those little objective holders, especially if they're cheap or low initiative where you can just noodle them around. And I think AP5 is great, a great piece because if he's already scrambled something, he can't get to something else. He can just coordinate somebody, you know, toss some extra actions out into the squad. It's always good, particularly as we've, we've just said, if it's going to take you an action to turn a satellite, well, if you can coordinate a focus to somebody and then they can go and scramble a satellite, then you're not losing action economy. Um, so, yeah, I, I I really like this scenario, but I do take your point. It finishes or it can finish very quickly and it can feel quite unsatisfying because you're ultimately just tossing dice at each other um, in this one. Um, and it seems to just go from 0 to 60 really really quickly like yeah game done you know I mean, 20, 20 to 6 20 23 7 you know game's finished but from from a very broad math sense for scramble then transmissions and for the salvage mission if you are holding two objectives you would have scored 10 mission points over five turns yep so you're halfway there to the win condition um, so if you kill a ship or two, that puts you, you know, the cheapest ships are three points, really. Like There'll be an occasional two-point ship. But let's say you get seven points from killing two ships. That puts you on 17, so six turns, maybe seven. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, yeah. to, to be honest, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be faster. I mean, the, the winner, if you've got three objectives, the minimum, the yeah. maximum turn is a seven. Um, and that's assuming nobody kills any ships. So... You know, if you're if all of the objectives are claimed every turn, then it should go relatively quickly. Um, and I think this this scenario is going to be the one where people go, "All right, four turns and it's done. Cool, right?" If if you're if you were running different scenarios, I know we're going to talk about it later on, but if you're running a tournament with scenarios and every table was playing a random scenario and everybody was playing a different scenario, um, you would end up with tables at the bar after twenty twenty five minutes. And then the people who've got chance encounter still playing after an hour and a quarter on turn eleven, you know. So yeah, it's it's weird, but I I like this one actually. I like scramble transmissions because it feels like there's a real consequence to taking the decision. 
um, to no, no. Yeah, yeah, gain yeah. the victory point. Absolutely, I do, I do get it. You know, and I, and I think yeah, when you've got ships that can't get extra actions or or extra mods from other places, then yeah, it's it's a real decision, isn't it, to take that defensive mod or or offensive mod, or to to then to scramble. Um, you know, is one mission point that big in the grand scheme of things? Like perhaps actually killing the opposing ship, getting you three, four, maybe more kill points is is worth more. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I was just thinking about because we talked about the three different scenarios. Now, um, I was just thinking in terms of list building. Um, you can very, very, very definitely focus your list building effort to be really good at one of the scenarios. Um, but I think in general terms, most of the time, squads are going to be like more combined arms sort of thing. So, you know, a bit of bombs, maybe one trajectory simulator with a proton bomb on it so that you can do some area control. Maybe a couple of missiles, maybe a bit of this, maybe a bit of that. Um, I don't think that small small ship numbers are going to be successful. Um, I think four is the minimum, and I think really you want to be looking at five. Um, yeah, I mean, so. I think, yeah, so like virtually I think every faction has got a two-point list, so it might be that you build yourself an 18-point list, and that could be three ships, um, and then you just bolt on that cheap two-point ship to be your, you know, we used to, uh, like in 40k, we used to call them like deck chair units, so essentially yeah. they're the guys who sit on deck chairs at the back, you know, with their mojitos or whatever, mm-hmm. um, you know, just you know watching the world go by and, and scoring new objective points. Yeah. So, I mean, Matcha, who we've, we had on, the guy who won the Sith Taker Open, has um, been chatting a lot about this because he plays a lot of Marvel Crisis Protocol. Um, and obviously AMG designed Marvel Crisis Protocol. And um, he said there is a lot of similarity now between the tactics deployed in in mcp and the tactics deployed in x-wing um and mcp uh lists are you know composed in the following way and you have somebody who's uh i think it's the winter soldier liam was saying who sits at the back we might have talked about it on the last episode who sits at the back with a range five sniper rifle and he just sits there and caps the back objective while you know adding value um elsewhere um but you know you've also got um, punching lists that run into the opposing deployment opposing deployment zone and just try and murder stuff as quickly as possible. Um, and you know I think that we're going to see a change to how people compose their lists now, um, because you need some objective cappers for some of these scenarios. But you do still need to be able to do a dogfight. So you know, is seven Republic ships or seven Rebel ships or seven Imperial ships that are all two dice? Um, and maybe two or three agility, is that actually good enough um, when it comes to, you know, can I just win a game of these, like an old-fashioned game of X-Wing with these, or do I go three and one in my first four rounds of objectives and hope that, you know, rounds uh, rounds five and six aren't dogfight again, or whatever it's called, chance encounter. Um, So do you you want to talk about, um, Ben, the, the, the tournament stuff? What's that, mate? The Adepticon ruling, the like how they're going to run the tournament. I know Tim wanted to run through like how they were going to do scenarios well, and things. I'm just I'm mindful of your time. Do you want to hit the list building thing? Um, I don't really have, have any. Go? 
I don't really have anything else to say about on this building other than it's mental. Oh, um, like it's absolutely bonkers. Um, I, I was looking at lists today. You know, benefit of sitting on Teams meetings for hours is um, you get <laughs> to you know click around in Yasby while you're doing it, and um, <laughs> the um, there's these kind of bonkers combos that you know. I'm looking at the gauntlet at the minute and I was like, oh, I really want to use those super commandos, you know, the Mandalorian remotes because I've got them. So I want to use them. I want to give them a try and see see what they're like. Um, and I was like, oh, I'm going to have to put a gauntlet in to do it. And then um, Chris Burnett said, or how about an ARC-170? And I was like, no, nah, they haven't got two crew slots. He was like, they do. I was like, no, they've got a gunner and a crew. No, they don't. They've changed them. They've changed them so they've got two crew slots now. So the cheapest way to put Mandalorian Super Commandos on the table is Rebels Ibit Sam in an ARC-170. A four-point ship with eight points of loadout. So seven points for your Mandalorian Commandos. Ibit Sam doesn't want upgrades anyway, so you know, stick them on there. There you go. You've got some. You've got some super commandos on your team. Um, mm. So, you know, it's like it's just bonkers what you can do. And looking through all the different factions, primarily the factions that I play, obviously, I think Resistance can't do seven ships because we haven't got enough three point ships available. Um, because all the RZ2s are four for some reason, um, and then. Um, the only two we've got is Bucket in a fireball, so that's not great. Um, but I think Republic can do a disgusting seven ship list. Rebels can do a disgusting seven ship list um, because you know once you've got two ships that are two pointers, that gives you sixteen points, which means that you can put you know five threes down and you're fine. You've and you've got one left, so you can put a four in there as well. Um, and everybody can do it. Everybody can put these massive high volume ship lists on the table um and we saw from that event in um what was it called the one we talked about Cher cherokee yeah yeah that one cherokee that's the one cherokee uh the cherokee open um that stephen and, and his guys uh, ran was um that the final table was seven ship republic versus six ship rebels um and the final scenario was um chance encounter so and they basically just flew off 13 ships into the middle of the board, <laughs> smashed into each other and rolled dice. And it was crazy because, you know, there was just, you know, I, I, I don't even know what was going on, to be honest. When I was looking at it, there's bombs and coordinates and everything. It's very, very hard to keep a track of it. But, you know, it, yeah, I think it's like in terms of list building, they've got to, they've got to tweak the points because we've said it before the fact that you can put 300 and something point list on the table and it's legal and you can be flying against somebody who puts a hundred and what used to be 180 points worth of ship on the table and that's legal too um and it's like right you, you need to you need to balance it up somehow you know you can't or just ban the stuff that you don't want to be in the game rather than just making it horribly inefficient and and you know only a loser will take that or a new person who doesn't understand and wants to fly four ships the same or whatever. It's like, no, just, you know, just take it out of the game. If you don't want people to use it, you've got a ban list and, you know, you can, if you don't want people to fly generics for a bit, just say, you know, we're going to ban generics from the table for a bit. Um, I know Tim, you'd be sad if they did that, but you know, why not? No, um, no. I mean, well, the interesting thing is that, yes, you say that the generics, but, they have lowered the points on some named pilots, so they're the same price as generic. So you can almost run your generic list with actually named pilots. 
Um, so, like, I've just quickly thrown together a seven ship resistance list. Um, like, it's using uh, you got R one J five. It's bucket. He's a two, yeah. two, two, two point fireball stuff like that. So, there's a lot of name ships out there that are lower, but yeah, certainly it wouldn't necessarily be the um, you know the the five or six ship identical swarm. But then my tie swarm was always the Inferno Squadron, so it was all name pilots with that anyway. Um, yeah, so. Um, yeah. yeah, it's it, it is very interesting from from a list building. Like you know, I, I can definitely see there is uh, a design philosophy to move away from generics by making certain named pilots as cheap as a generic or cheaper, so that you're kind of like, well, why why would I take the generic? Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, you. It's very obvious, isn't it, that they want you to fly named pilots. Um, they need to change the loadout values on some of them. And some of them are too high, some of them are too low. And I don't know if the answer is actually to make the loadout values similar on sh- on the same chassis or maybe on the same initiatives or something. But like the fact that, you know, you can put whatever it is, 20 points on wedge is just absurd because you look at it and you go, well, outmaneuver, right? And then we'll have afterburners, right? That's 12. Now I've got eight points left. So, you know, what do I do? Do I put R2-D2 and call it done? Or do I put a shield upgrade on and, you know, two points for Predator or something? You know, it's like you get, it's like, you know, the question of daddy or chips. And it's like, well, why not both? Let's have everything. And that, and that's the thing with these high initiative, high cost pilots is they get so bloated. You get so many upgrades on them. And then that makes the game take longer. That means you miss triggers. And that was something we identified on Tuesday night was that, you know, we were sitting, poring over the cards that were on the table, trying to figure out if I had, have I got a trigger at this point? I'm not sure. I might do. What about now? Have I got a trigger now? Mm, I'm not sure. What about now? Sort of thing. So it was, yeah, it was very, very weird um, that, that that was just almost like a constant, um, have I got, have I got something I need to think about? And Ooh. I mean, games were lasting five turns, but the five turns were taking like an hour, an hour and a quarter. You know, we, we were, we weren't really running timers on the games. We were kind of playing them to the 12, the 20 point completion rather than a timer. Um, but the games were all taking, you know, f- yeah, five turns or six turns to get to completion. But um, they were, we were playing for more than an hour yeah, on, on each of them. Um, and I think that was just the nature of the lists being hugely bloated and complicated. Well, that's it. I just had a quick look now. So, like, the Mandalorian's got 28 upgrade points it can use with 10 slots. And that's, yep. I say, not including the uh, the Razor Crest hiding an illicit. Um, Rear Admiral Chirino in the Decimator's got 35 points worth of upgrades and 9 slots. So, you know, there, there's there's some ships out there that will have so many different interactions and, you know, triggers in the system phase, activation phase, engagement phase, and... Yeah, just uh, remembering as well with road, like you know, what 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 order do these abilities go in? You know, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah it's just it, yeah, like I I I ran the three ship list and immediately went, well, I'm not going to run this again. Purely, I think mainly down to the amount of cards I had on some of the ships. Yeah, it's just too too much to remember. I mean, I am looking at building lists that are. Like three, like I've I've looked at a three ship list because it looks hilarious, which is a gauntlet, a ghost, and Sabine in an A wing, and I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna give that a blast sometime. Um, but then I look at the ghost and the triggers and the interactions because it's Kanan in the ghost, and it's like, 
right then i've got every time they're going to shoot i want to be shouting one last dice and mm. then i've got to remember you know the mall trigger on the get on the on the gauntlet because it says your pilot and uh, on all of this stuff it's just like oh man it's just triggers after triggers uh, it reminds me of something sean said at one point because when he was he, he used to play 40k in tournaments and he said he went to a big event and um a bunch of uh i can't remember he said it was americans like might have been like a you you might even know about this but a bunch of americans came over for like a big 40k international tournament might have been the original team championship or something um and they'd brought like the newest fangled new codex had come out and they'd you know broken it and they'd find these lists that were absurdly busted with weird janky combos and shenanigans and you know they brought these lists over and they plunked them down on the table and a bunch of kind of journeyman um european players with their you know orc armies that they'd been playing for 14 years turned up and just smashed them because the orc players knew the all of the in- interactions, all of everything that their list could do off the top of their head. So yeah. they were focusing on strategy and tactics, not on trying to remember triggers. Um, and I think that we get back to, um, to to X-Wing, to the conversation that we've had a number of times, which is, you know, how do you get good at X-Wing? And you get good at X-Wing by doing reps with your list or by doing reps against different lists so that you know what they can do. And if you're comfortable with the list that you're flying, um, you shouldn't go to a tournament with a list that you created that morning while you were sitting on the toilet figuring out what to put in your felt hair bag. I don't um, believe you. <laughs> you should you should take you know, <laughs> don't don't do a Mark Packer Hughes and you know think what you're gonna fly the night before and just be like, oh this looks like fun. Cause you know, it takes you three turns uh, three rounds to realise what the list can do. And then you win your last three games, but by that point you're out of the tournament and you know it's not great. Um but there's um there's just a lot of there's a lot of I think with lists that are complicated and have huge amounts of interactions and huge amount of interlocking cards and moving parts is that if you have that list and you know it inside out and you're intimately familiar with everything that it can do um and you never miss a beat with any of your triggers then great it'll be fantastic but it might actually be better possibly occasionally sometimes to just drop um some upgrades so that it's easier you know or put some more simple things on well me and sim were playing i just stopped caring about all my triggers and stuff because i couldn't remember them all because i had so much stuff going on with all the jedi's abilities missiles gens and all that crap and that's when it actually i did better (laughs) do you know something i think the list that i or not the list but the bit that i enjoyed the most um about Tuesday was the first game I played against Sean. I played a rebel list that had um, two Man Ren fangs in it because, you know, rebel fangs not had a chance to use them before, so stick them on the table. Um, and I just put a hull upgrade and a shield upgrade on them. So that was their 10 loadout points. They just had six health and were fangs. And with a native ability that gives them rerolls if they're, you know, flying near something that does the same speed as them. But they're just fangs, um, but with six health. So Sean Trajectory simulated a proton bomb at me, and I just went, yeah, I'm just going to fly over that. I've got a shield. <laughs> I've got a shield and and five health left afterwards. So I'm not just going to fly over it. I'm going to barrel roll back into it because it gives me a better board position for next turn. You know, it's that kind of thing. I was like, yeah, it's fine. Um, and I think that kind of thing almost makes life easier because you just go, yep, I don't have to worry about new triggers and interactions and any weirdness. I've just got more health on my ship. Um, 
So I think yeah, I can, that's, I can... that's quite the beauty of Tim's. Um, is it the X ones or V ones? I can never remember which ones which. X ones, yeah. X ones is it's it's a very simple list, isn't it? Yeah, no upgrades on it at all, is there? Well, no, no. So, um, all all the um the Storm Squadron aces all have fire control system. Um, mm-hmm. so generally you just focus with everybody. Um, so back in the old list, back in two point it would have been passive sensors, and then you didn't have that defensive mod. Whereas now everybody focuses, and then I've got Zertec with uh, fire control and thread tracers, and I've got Semp Sister with its brilliant evasion thread tracers. And there might be something else. Can't remember off the top of my head. But anyway, um, basically, so the idea being that everybody's focusing for defense if it's needed. But then I've got two thread tracers I can fire off there. If I get those target locks off, then I'm getting mm-hmm. double modded um, targeting computer attacks, which becomes three red dice turning a hit to a crit. Use the fire control system, spend the focus. And yeah, it's uh, a very aggressive list. Yeah, but it's very simple. And that's I think. Yeah, I think you'll snatch wins from um, from well players who, in the who, nicest, who are getting getting yeah. tied up. Like in two point this list was good. Like I went five and zero in the the day two worlds qualifier at the system open with it. I joust out jousted droid swarms and all sorts with it. Um, so I know the list works. And then they lower the points so I can have a sixth ship. I'm like, okay, yeah. <laughs> So um, we'll see, like, you know, this is it. Like, I'll have my fun in the sun, and then maybe they'll put the points up to four points. It's funny that that's similar to that um, interceptor list I was flying at the Sift Taker Open. Now, rather than Wamper, I can fit Nash in there. Is it Nash? Yeah. Is it Nash? Nash is the one that stops the ship dying, Yeah, which is amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah when you've got 19 ships on the board. <laughs> oh, and they all get disciplined as well. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> fun times yeah i mean I, I yeah i think there's this has definitely opened up list building in a in a way that's going to enable people who um used to just chuck upgrades onto stuff to have fun doing that because you know it was one of the things that you could always see when somebody came down to the club for the first time and it took a bit of time to con- to talk them out of it. it was like oh well of course i'm going to have wedge without maneuver and proton torpedoes and r2d2 and blah 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 and i'm going to put 75 or 80 or 90 points of my list into one x-wing because it's wedge and he's great and then he dies in the first engagement because people go well i'm going to shoot him a lot I'm not going to leave him unmolested. No, no way am I allowing him to, to just fly around and pester me. Um, and then they'd be like, oh, man, I thought Wouldn't he'd it be do a more. shame if it's like, made that ship dead. Yeah. And then eventually they went, all right, the best way to run Wedge in version two was to, you know, just, just Wedge by himself. He doesn't need anything else. Maybe a crack shot if you've got points spare, but, you know, that's it. Um, and then... Uh, and then, like now, you look at it and you go, well, come crack on. Stick whatever you want on him. You might as well. You've got them. Yeah. Go on and do it. Um, it's going to yeah. make it a lot You've of fun. There's a lot of might as well use them. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, I mean, I was saying to um, – I can't remember. I've chatting to so many people today. Um, it's like I really want to put like the Super Commandos and the Gauntlet on the table. I don't even think it's good, you know. But I want to put it on the table because I've got it and I want to give it a try. Um, who knows if it's actually going to be a successful experiment or if I'm going to go, well, that was 
briefly fun. Uh, now I'm going to put it back on my shelf. I am interested to try again. that um, Seven Force on the gauntlet you were talking about today. Oh, man. Yeah, seven so, Force? Yeah, so um, I might as well tell everybody because it's hilarious. So um, Brendan Osmond Damon's going to try it. He's, he's going to try and get it on Hexar. Oh, Unknown Knockout Champion. Unknown um, Knockout Champion. Um, and basically, if you put Maul in the gauntlet, he has three force. If you put the title on the gauntlet, it gets an extra two crew slots. So it's got four crew slots or three crew slots, four. Then you can put the child on for an extra two, Ahsoka gunner in for an extra one. Oh, no, sorry, Ahsoka crew in for an extra one. So it's put you up to six. And then Savage Press in for an extra one that's put you up to seven. <laughs> um, and you get your force back um, by when you're shot at. By the child, um, there you isn't enough hate on as well, can't there? Isn't enough room. There isn't, isn't enough room. No, if, <laughs> oh, you go to, if, you, if you go to seven, there's not enough room for hate. But if you go to six, there's enough room for hate. Or you can have five and have a soaker, but not the child, and you know, just have five force that regens normally. Why not? And um, you know, <laughs> stick hate on there as well if you want. But yeah, it's ridiculous. There's so many force crew available for scum now. Where they used to have one, they've not got so many. It's just like <laughs> yeah, load it up. Um, be, I mean, the gauntlet's one of those crazy, like, it's just looking at it, the, the loadout you can put on it just looks so, like, janky. There's different crew that can all interact in different ways with different ships and get locks here and there and get calculates when they're locking and throw out this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, the, um, the, 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 what is it, the gauntlet title, I think, rather than the night, whatever night it's called. Yeah. yeah, night brother title. Um, They allow you to do stuff. So, like, the gauntlet title allows you to do a white move and take a focus or an evade even if you're stressed but you know you'll need every other turn and things like that so um while i thought that the dial was going to be really restrictive it, i think it's just going to fly like a fairly chunky large base ship um also the model is ginormous don't yeah, know if anyone's see seen the... it next to smaller ships did you see the comparison picture that somebody did where they put like the the gauntlet, the ghost, the falcon, the 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 party bus? No, um, I've not the seen that. Six. Yeah, and like so they've put all the big ships like the Lancer and everything on and they put them together. And it's not actually much bigger than the ghost. It's just wide. wider at the bottom, <laughs> at the like the back, where it's really wide. It's wider. It's not as long as the ghost, it's actually a bit shorter. Um but it's really, really wide. So it's like the size of your hand, basically. But it's it's about the size of the ghost, you know, in total. Um, and then it's, yeah, you know, the Falcon and the Lancer and things are all a little bit smaller. The, the YV-666 is longer than it, but obviously much thinner. Because, <laughs> you know, you can't hit that thing if it's coming at your head on because it's only about three inches wide in real life. But, um, yeah, no, it's, um, it's, it's a beautiful model, though. Um, and, yeah, and, uh, and it's cool how it moves. Yeah, it is. It is. The kids haven't seen it yet, but I'm guessing. Don't or it, or it won't be yours anymore. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, my, it'll my, suddenly my, be Freddy's. <laughs> it'll be it'll be broken within a few weeks. To be honest, that's what's most likely to happen. Is he'll well, he'll move the wings just, up and down, just so you can fit it, so it in your bag. Right. <laughs> I can see that actually happening. People modding them and just trimming the trim, trimming the sides off. Yeah, I'm just gotta trim the corners off these wings and add a gun on or something just to make it fit. But yeah, shall um, we just um, just yeah, touch on that the OP rules have been not mm -hmm. they've been sort of announced because Dion has been speaking to him because he's running an event for him, isn't he? Yeah. So yeah. basically, I'll just hit the easiest bit is basically if you win, you get three points. 
um, a draw is one point. There's no final salvo or anything like that. It's just a draw. And obviously, if you lose, it's a zero. But, um, a, but a draw is a loss because if you don't win, you need to get 15 points. That's, to progress. that's, that's in that event. Just in general, it's not a loss. It's one yeah. point. Yeah so, yeah, so what they're calling it, they're calling it the hotshot event format from Atomic Mass Games. So uh, we don't know how much of this is what AMG wants and how much, obviously, Dion has is sort of built around that. Um, but I would be very surprised if Dion introduced draws, having yeah. not seen draws for an awful, awful long time. Um, and certainly when, when you're not doing a top 32 cut or top 64, whatever you decide the cut is, when you do a X and one, or if you do a, you know, if you have 15 points, having draws seems bad. Um, and it's very unlikely you're going to see a draw because essentially what we're saying is that both players are tied on mission points at the end of the game. But for me personally, like we've moved away from draws. We just have win losses. Why not just keep in the final salvo, or even just road it at the end of the game? Uh, as like you know, it's a penalty shootout. You've tied, you've tied at full time. Um, let's determine who the winner is. I mean, while collusion's still illegal, I can see an awful lot of people um, having conversations when there's five minutes left of a game that goes along the lines of, "If you make cut, will you be coming back tomorrow?" And um, this looks like it's heading for a draw. Um, so shall we? Um, do something that means that it doesn't end in a draw. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, because yeah, one, one of us has to win, otherwise we both lose. So, you know, well, uh, do we do we at this point quietly roll a final salvo and then just say, yeah, he won twenty nineteen, game over, um, kind of thing, and not tell the judges because you don't want to draw. So, you yeah. know, I, players can sort this stuff out by themselves. Um, but then you'll get, you know, what do you do in cut? What do you do in cut if it's twenty twenty? Well, um, or yeah. or eighteen eighteen after twelve rounds, well, you know. Do, so, do, do, so, do both yeah. players go out? Well, so two two things on this. So um, for the first thing, you could see the situation where two players who've won the first five games both just take a draw because that potentially gives them both maybe slightly higher rankings. I don't know in the cut. I'm not quite sure how the maths will work. Um, but certainly against if they lose, they they might get a better. Um, like draw um so what uh dion said i think maybe just for the final but certainly for the cut essentially if you're tied at time they might just say play another turn but then that made me that keep playing keep what, what, well this it's is like it. baseball it's what? like baseball just keep playing another innings until you get an outcome well that, <laughs> that made me recoil a little bit because then do you remember the timeless finals we used to have yeah. Um, and yeah. <laughs> what happens if you just keep playing and the game just keeps drawing? Like, if if either player knows, if I risk this, I could lose the game. But if I don't engage, the score doesn't change. Let's say we, you know, it's either the center objective where we're both contesting it, or we're each holding two objectives. We don't want to go anywhere near the middle or something like that. Uh, we've each got two ships left, maybe that are both holding a crate or something like that. So we're scoring the same amount of scenario points every round. Like, well, I don't want to lose a game. You don't want to lose a game. So are either of us going to risk it to progress the game? And two days later, you know, we're still circling the board. Um, I suppose this is one of the things where Road comes into it because if you're, if you think, is he going to risk it? I'm not going to risk it. And then he dives in, but you've dialed in a move that 
doesn't allow you to come in and take advantage of that so there will be a bit of counter bluffing and bluffing and stuff like that but you are absolutely right there'll be the there will be players who will do what happened with the old nim miranda finals where they just circle the board for you know oh great it's a it's a two-hour final and it's finished in 45 minutes so we'll just go off for an hour and we'll come back and you know pretend that we've played the entire thing I think having a sudden death mechanic like final salvo would be absolutely fine. I think the competitive player base is is been more than happy with um, final salvo, and it's and it's been such an integral part of the game for however many years that I think like people would be happy with it. But even then, you've just invented a new rule that determines a player versus another one. So you could just say just road at the end of the game. And whoever wins the road roll wins wins it in event of a tie. Um, yeah, it just it seems I wouldn't say we won't see the collusion we used to have. Certainly with this particular format, but if you did a top thirty-two player cut, you could see. I mean, there's no there's nothing in the rules pack about intentional draws. No, I I've I've heard on the grapevine that. Um... D Yun mentioned what about draws to the developers on one of the um the Fly Better podcasts, which you've not been able to listen the whole the whole way through to. Um and he mentioned what a, what about if draws? And they were like, Yeah, there won't be any draws. And he was like, What about if two players intentionally draw because they're both five and zero, oh and they both will make cut if they both draw, but they'll not make cut if they one of them draws and one of them loses or they're both four and one um and if they both and uh there was the infamous um event oh before i started was it roanoke or something like that where um they uh where some people did deliberately um do that um drew the game so that they would all make cut oh we we had it uh, apparently yeah. it used to happen quite regularly and it wasn't really frowned upon no 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 we we had it at probably the first store champs i ran at elements so 64 player I don't know if it was a top 16 cut or something like that, but essentially the top eight tables all intentionally drew. So um, for those who don't know, um, we used to have a tournament more much like Magic the Gathering or um, some other card games where you and your opponent could essentially decide at the start of the game. I don't think you could talk to your opponent about it, but you could come up to the judges and basically say, uh, if my opponent wishes, I will. Int- we will intentionally draw the game. And essentially the top eight tables all went, well, if we draw this game, well, maybe not the top eight, but certainly a good portion of, of that top eight, uh, maybe the bottom table or two had to play for it. But the good portion just went, yeah, we're going to intentionally draw. Um, so I then had to turn around to the people who were all in contention and basically go, sorry guys, you've got no chance or yeah. very little chance of making cut because the top, if not 100%, the top 80% of the cut had been determined because they were all taking draws. Um, yeah. And like, yeah, you can say that you can't intentionally draw, but I'm pretty sure players can add up to 20. And, you know, if they're looking at the score and they both determine they're on the same score and, well, yeah, we don't need to progress again. So Adepticon have decided that a draw is effectively a loss because you're playing six rounds and you need to get 15 points to progress to the cut. And that means winning five games. Um, And if you draw one, then you can still get 16 points. Um, but it's basically an X in one cut. Um, so, but if you draw two, then you're at 
14 and one point shy of getting into cut. So you're basically saying that a draw is equivalent to a loss because you might as well not. Um, which again goes against something that AMG said in one of the earlier streams, which was they were going to look at victory points as being um, important. So if you lost all of your games, but by one victory points, like if you played all of your games and it was 2019 in all of them, um, then that would stand you in good stead to actually progress in the tournament um, over somebody who won by a couple of victory points here and there. So I think people were expecting it to be a bit of a different way of running the tournaments. Like, you know, cut was actually determined by your total number of victory points over the course of the day, not by whether you won or lost the games. Um, so, you know, if you lost all of your games, that's fine. But you lost all of your games by one point, then you'll probably still make cut over somebody who sneaked a, a you know, a 3-1 win at, um, at 12 rounds or whatever. Um, they probably won't make cut. So, yeah, um, it'll be interesting to see when AMG actually come out with their own um, rules because they've constantly um, shocked our, um, our, our like guesses as to what they're going to do. So every time they've announced something, we've kind of decided that we definitely know what it's going to be within the boundaries of what we believe to be the case for current X-Wing. And then when they announce the actual rules, it's just totally different. So, you know, uh, random order after dials, or, or sorry, the... Um, Random player order wasn't one dice at the start of the game, which we all assumed it would be. It was, you know, three dice every turn. And, you know, when they said we're going to change um, list building, it wasn't changing list building to being, um, you know, more points, less points, shifting things around. It was an absolute change to the, the fundamental core concept of it. So um, who knows what they're going to do for OP. So just to touch on the uh, the scoring again, I'm just thinking, um, so actually in the Swiss, it probably won't matter with the draws because like you say, they'll both be losses and there is actually timed rounds. It's probably only for the cuts that it actually matters. Um, but with the timing, um, so what they're doing is it's very similar to how Hordes of War Machine used to, used to work. And obviously that's AMG's, um, you know, obviously X priority press. Um, mm -hmm. So the round time will be 72 to 78 minutes. So essentially it's 72 uh, or 71 minutes plus Dion's going to roll a D6 to see how, how, how many minutes it is. And what that will in theory do is it will stop people perhaps clock watching trying to determine well if the game ends this turn i've won but if the game progresses i've lost um and so yeah we used to so that the, the there won't be a round timer and the way i used to run the hordes of war machine events is i'd perhaps announce up to about the 60 65th minute and say like right okay you've now got you know it's you know this you've had an hour you've got you know however long left that there is and i wouldn't say obviously tell them how long's left but the players would know it'd be between like 12 and 18 minutes or however long it was from that point um mm -hmm. so yeah we'll see we'll see how that works um from um a to point of view i mean it's not terrible i mean what you could do is you could put a 78 minute timer up on the board but tell players that it could end anywhere within like you know the last six minutes and essentially then you know is that do you call dice down are you calling um that you know that's the end of the round play out the turn like we have currently um i assume that's probably what we would do so if you're in the last turn you just play that turn out if you haven't got to the system phase that or the sorry the planning phase um you don't set dials i think yeah. the problem is with that it, it could cause a bit of a quite a big time difference between each rounds because i think there's going to be a lot more ships moving 
Yeah. Nope. Yeah. I mean, you might. Yeah. So you, you might I half quite like the idea. Of just saying, right, time's done. Bump, stop. Score points for objectives. That's it. Oh, I mean, like, yeah, it's not adding that much. Like, the the overall game time is either plus or minus three minutes over over what we've got currently. Um, but there is potentially more going on. But as we've seen, like a lot of these games, if they're only lasting four, five, six rounds, are yeah. they are they even getting to seventy five minutes? They they probably at the moment will take the full time because we're all quite new to set up to you know taking one hundred and one upgrade cards to using scenario actions and end of turn scoring. So there are things that will slow the game down to start with, but people will start obviously picking up once they've got used to it. I do think that's a that's a, a very interesting concept though, Ben, of it being, you know, a, a fixed time and you don't progress. It's like the the final whistle of a football match going when, you know, the ball's in the midair heading towards the penalty box. It doesn't matter yeah. if you could have scored in that next ten seconds if the game had continued. Tough. You know, we don't finish the turn that we're on. The game finishes when the final whistle goes, and you just yeah, you tally up what your points are at that point in time, yeah. or what point. If you don't hit the end phase, you don't tally up your points. So you know, if you're thinking maybe if I can get one more turn and I can win, and you don't finish that turn, then you just well, the points are what the points were before. We're not going to tally any more points onto it. You just play until the, the round ends, and then you know, once the round ends, the score that was tallied at the end of the last end phase that that's the score. Um, yeah, I mean yeah. That, that that's actually um, so I uh, we 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 use that in forty k at certainly at one point, and we actually took that from the Hordes of War Machine uh, Steamroller rules. Uh, it's mm. either the hardcore rules or, or general. And yeah, it was dice down essentially. If dice down is called, um, certainly the way I ruled it in, when I when I sort of adopted this rule is you finished if you were in the middle of like doing an, an engagement or a movement or something like that, you finished that what you were doing, but you didn't progress on to the next thing. So that's it. So at that point, you you score the game. Um, and yeah, we'll we'll see what they decide to do. If they decide to play out the last turn, or if they if they do decide to do like a hard dice down. Yeah, right, I need to go, boys. So if you want to talk about anything else, carry on. But uh, just I'm, I'm be- just quickly off. before you go, Rich. Um, yeah, did did you enjoy your games on Tuesday? I did. I did. I yeah. I, I like it. Um, yeah. Like my my. Um, my overwhelming view of it is that I don't like Satellite Array. Um, I just don't like that as a scenario. I like the other two and probably three because, you know, random encounter, chance encounter, whatever it's called. I'll, I'll enjoy that. Um, I think that there's a lot of potential to um, the game as it stands at the moment, but they need to do something about points. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's getting a little bit quick, isn't it? Yeah, it's just it's just too there's too many ships with too much stuff, um, which means that it's the games are just overly complicated and they're gonna it might stop being fun after a while when you're looking at, you know, um an entire playing card pack deck worth of cards <laughs> piled up on the other side of the table and you're like, Right, now I've got two minutes to try and figure out what your list does. And I couldn't do that when, you know, people had one or two upgrades per ship. Now, have I got any chance when you've got the potential to have 11 or 12 upgrades on the ship? You know, you look at some of the Mandalorian builds that people are putting out there that have literally got 11 upgrade cards and a hidden upgrade card underneath the ship card as well. Um, so, you know, you're trying to figure <laughs> out all of those interactions. No, I mean. Well, I mean, no. that, yeah, that's absolutely it. Like, it may be, it may come down to your knowledge of the game. Do you know all the upgrade cards or what they do, all the interactions? And will those players that have that knowledge just understand the game better? Um, 
Yeah, and, and equally, you know, there was a certain thing to be said. There was scenarios in 1.0 and 2.0, but people chose to play dogfights because of the simplicity. So uh, we'll see. Like, um, so yeah, I think I think that's uh, you know the, the complexity of the game, really, isn't it? Is is uh, and it it might sound like um, you know sort of first world problem about oh I've got too many cards and you know all, all the triggers and you know setting up the board and all this sort of stuff but you know there was a reason why you know i was attracted to x-wing um i did have fun you know i, I did enjoy the games but i think i said to you at the end of the evening i i think i think we both felt a bit of a downer after the third game um yeah you know and I, yeah, I think the third game was a really bad game for us to end on yeah because again i said earlier although i won it i didn't i didn't get that feeling of winning it was just like oh i, I guess i've won then yeah and like mm. like i say like i think i said to there's a few people like you know D- david sutcliffe was there from stay on the leader uh blog uh you know and a few other sift takers it's like would i would i have had a fun playing 2.5 rules but dog fighting i would have probably had just as much fun as playing the scenarios so you know what did the scenarios actually add to the game for me um now all right yeah it was a bit of chaotic fun with the um the salvage mission uh um, yeah but we had chaotic fun with other random you know missions and and things you know and that's that's fine for club night but is that you know do you want chaotic fun in a competitive event i don't know um you know time time will tell probably how how people feel about that yeah i guess we all have to see what their idea for OP is. I know we've got half an idea from um, Adepticon, and apparently he's been speaking to him, but I guess we don't really know until their document comes out. Well, that's it. The, the thing is, if a community doesn't like it, all community-run events will not follow that. It just won't bother. No, I mean, this is it. Like, yeah. oh. I think the one thing we, we don't see, and I was look, trying to look for, is it's how the, the missions are, are determined. Is everybody playing the same one, or do, do you randomly determine with your opponent start the game? Um, maybe we'll see more competitive missions. Like uh, I know Dion's wanting to do a bit of uh, like fact finding for AMG, like asking people if they enjoyed the mission, did it go to time, you know, number of rounds you played, and stuff like that. Um, and I think that's sometimes you know there's a lot to be said from large scale playtesting because when you get like a closed playtesting group. Um, and I know there's been a lot of turmoil with the playtesters with, you know, the transition 2.5. Um, but when you get almost a group of yes men or, you know, a playtesting group that all love that vision or, or, you know, they, they've all bought into that, that, you know, you release it to the public and the public hates it. It's like, you've, you know, perhaps you have completely missed, you know, the, um, the vibe, you know, perhaps you've missed the, uh, you know, what, what the, you know your, your your customer base what your player base wants um see i'd be quite interested in events maybe not necessarily just running the the dog fights now but go in knowing that you'll just be playing i don't know satellite race say and seeing what sort of mad builds people come up that it's just good for just that mission yeah yeah no absolutely like, yeah. be like a fun evening but that's it you say a fun evening is this a fun evening or is this a two day event that you're going to go away to another country for? Or, well, or even like a nationals or something like that. And this is it. I think there's, there's, and this, this year is going to be very, um, be very wild west, isn't it? Like, you know, it's a lot of, yeah. a lot, there'll be a lot of, um, experimenting from AMG. There's a lot of experimenting from tournament organizers. 
and there'll be a lot of experimenting from players because you know what i mean this is one thing i, I said i think into the sift taker chat um is forget what you thought worked in 2.0 you need to almost rethink how you're going to play the game and how you're going to build your lists because you know what worked in 2.0 won't necessarily work with these scenarios that's true. I mean, there's still some crossover lists, isn't there? But no, absolutely, and, and, and there absolutely will be. But like, well, you know, even just the basics, you know, those who, people who flew two fire sprays or two decimators suddenly can't. Um, so you know, you're taking three ships, and actually, is three ships going to be viable when there's five objectors and your opponents are taking five, six, or seven ships? Um, you know, like I say, yeah, I. I felt, and I think I got it right, that my three-ship list had to be aggressive. It had to be going out there and looking to kill your ships for me to stay competitive with the with the point scoring. Also, as well, if you think about it, with the standard, sounds like it's going to be what we're going to be using at um, events. Two of your ships aren't actually legal. No, no, absolutely, and and I, I knew so, that. I knew that going into the game. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what I mean is. I mean, that restricts it even further for a, a three-ship list because, you know, they're not necessarily the good ships that you can use. Well, not bad ships, not good ships, but you know, yeah. I don't know whether Scum have necessarily three uh, ships that are black box. That, so, that, that yeah. would be fe- feasible. Um, I suppose you've got, like, a fire spray or something, Mando. But, yeah, and again, that's something that might change things, might it, you know? That's it. You might end up with two medium or large ships and a support piece, um, and that might be your three ship list. Um, yeah, I think I think it'll be interesting. Um, you know, I, I think um, Lee Dalton posted up uh, a poll um, asking, like, from a from a, sh- a store owner's point of view, you know, are you looking to play two point five? Are you looking to play two point oh? Would you play either? And I think I think in the end I probably did click two point five, and I think I clicked that because what I think I said in the in the comments is that if there was a big two point event which was with my friends, you know, big singles event or if it was a team event, uh, I would I would travel for that, but I probably wouldn't travel for a three round game night kit or you know like a couple of hours away or a, a, you know a Saturday event, um, but I would travel for a two point five you know event. I mean, I would probably still travel because uh, my friends are there. Well, that's what I mean. It's it's very situational. Yeah. Like I, I wouldn't say for definite that I would, I would, I would make more of an effort for a two point five potentially, just because it's the current yeah. rules. Um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's it is a tough one, and I don't think I don't think store owners need to panic that much at the moment. I think. It's one of these things. Like, I think yeah, if your player base, if you've got local players that want to play a particular rule set, so if, let's say at Element, we had half a dozen or more Sift Takers that wanted to run a 2.0 event, uh, or play in a 2.0 event, we could run one. And as long as we had our local players to start that pool, then other players would travel and we would get a, you know, a group together. Um, I think if you haven't got a local player base that's playing it, it or even 2.5, then don't run it. Um, if you haven't got your local players, then it, it it would seem silly to sort of look to run it. Yeah, I, I imagine um, two point will slowly 
fade out a little bit. Similar to like 1.0 people. Some people sort of held on and there was little yep. groups still playing, but whether they still play now, I don't hear much from them. It all comes down to community drive, and I think there will be yeah. a, there will be a greater appetite from uh, elements of the community because because two point for the vast majority, and I'm talking like you know probably eighty percent, you know, um, was a positive release, and the majority of certainly the player base that I was aware of moved over. Now there were definitely people that did drift away. Um, you know, people saying their collections at War Boots and stuff like that. So I know it wasn't perfect by any means. However, this this move to two point five, or essentially what's third edition, is yeah. a lot is a lot more diverse. Of, you know, um, you know, and it has fractured the community a lot more. And I think you will end up with a group that decides to play two point and they might even decide to play two point for a year until AMG actually sorts out what you know the hell it is we're playing um you know there might be still tweaks to come um i don't know like you know is this the finished article maybe that's why they're not calling it third edition because they're doing this as is more of a, an open beta sort of play test maybe i mean i enjoyed it I'm, I'm i'm enjoying what's going on at the moment so i guess time will tell won't it yeah i think like you know i'm I'm almost too invested in X-Wing to just drop it. Um, I could. like, I could quite easily sell my collection. Uh, however, I do enjoy the game. Uh, mechanically, it's not that different. Um, Road, I don't find as being a massive uh, impact to my play style because I was never the... You know, I, I never chased the bid, so I was never that, oh, I must move second kind of player. You know, And that's not just because I played Swarms. Now, even when I played Aces or, or Beefy Lists, I never really worried too much um little things like you know bumping your own ships i i, I completely forgot about it end up bumping um some sister and obviously took a damage and little things like that i'll just have to you know get my head around um but it's still the game it's still the same people i, I enjoy it um you know obviously i enjoy doing the podcast with you guys so that i think for us you know we are moving forward into 2.5 which is why we are obviously making an effort to play games, you know, talk about our experiences and yeah. Yeah, I think we'll still play anyway, so <laughs> I've got too invested and loads of my friends play, so for me, it's half the fun is seeing my friends on top of playing the games. But yeah, this is it. And I I've I've done I've been a war gamer since like, I don't know, seventeen, eighteen, no. Um, certainly before then I dabbled, but I'd say like I was going to tournaments from about 17 and, you know, I've played like mass battle with 40 K and, you know, uh, warmer fantasy and all sorts and stuff. And I don't want to go back to that. Like those mass battle games don't appeal to me. And I love star Wars and I want a skirmish game and that's what X-Wing is for me. Um, so yeah, I, you know, this is it like for better or worse, I think um, I'll, I'll certainly be um, heading on. And like I say, I, I enjoy the games on Tuesday. Whether or not, um, you know, I'll still be enjoying those scenarios in a competitive environment in, you know, a year's time, two years' time, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I mean, we've been playing Dogfight for all these years and we still enjoy it. It's not that much different, really. So I think it'd be good. Anyway, on that note, I think we should call it a night. 
Yep. Um, um, little shout out for Mr. Liam, who's not here tonight, but he is doing well in the uh, the little Pokemon event he's in, which is really interesting rules. Yeah, I um, think he's three and zero, so he's looking to go four and zero. I'm one and two, so I'm hoping. I think I've got to play an American tomorrow, so I'm hoping to, to win that game. Rich is zero and three right now, but he's had a, a fun time as well, hasn't he? Yeah, this is it. Like you know, I'm gonna get some nice old arts and stuff through, and um, you know, some of the uh, the bounties were quite good fun. Um, I think it's just it's a shame with the timing in a way because uh, obviously now with two point five, everyone's just kind of gone off the boil a bit and kind of. I mean, like I was chatting to my last opponent, and he was like, "Well, this, you know, we almost want to play the new rules now." So uh, we'll see how this goes on for a few more rounds. Collect our that was like yeah. us in the uh, trilogy tournament. <laughs> Yeah, that was the reason we lost that last round of the trilogy event, wasn't it? So, um, <laughs> um, but no, this is it. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. We'll, we'll need to get some um, two point five event, events arranged uh, locally and online. Um, I don't know if you. Want that to... does remind me. Yeah, yeah. Just, just before we go, um, anyone who has been playing in the our league, if you've not noticed online, we've we've decided to call this season done. I'm going to regroup um, due to changing rules and. Some people don't want to play the new rules, so just just keep your eyes out. We're going to do um like a a weekly tournament to reset the leagues with two point rules. Um, I'm just waiting for Tabletop to to be updated. Um, so just keep your eye out anyway. Oh, and I've just uh, found out that I've won the uh, the February Patreon prize with <laughs> Enigma Wargaming. So uh, how many J- points did you end up getting? So yeah, Jason basically ran a competition for his monthly patron uh, prize. Um, so you had to write a list in new points that was basically the most expensive in old points. So what, what was the most expensive list that you could write that is currently legal? Um, so I managed to write a 318 point list. <laughs> um, so the list for anybody that's interested is uh, the Hawk Lat. With squadron leader, palp, sync console, handmaiden with FCS, R5, iron torps, uh, sorry, two two handmaidens with FCS, uh, R5, iron torps, uh, Barris with, uh, I think, shattering shot, R5, CLT, Tarkin in the V wing with composure, hull, um, 3B, cluster mines, uh, Denny with as uh, so that's another um Naboo Starfighter with Intimidation R4 Ion. Now that's not saying that's a competitive list. I was actually looking to maximize points. Um <laughs> but that does show that you could have a lat, three Naboo Starfighters, a CLT Jedi, and a V Wing, and you've got quite a lot of points to spend on upgrades in that list. Um so I wouldn't be surprised like if like Rich was saying, you know, if the Naboo chassis is actually quite good in scenario play because you like, you know, get that three evade from doing your your full throttle maneuver, um, yeah, that could be interesting. But anyway, thank you very much, Jason. I will look forward to collecting my uh Fury of the First Order pro painted group and uh, maybe I give that away at my next event. Who knows? Uh, do you have any shout outs, Tim, before we're done, except that one? Um, not really. I mean, I suppose I'll, I'll give a shout out to Scott and Hexard. I'm quite enjoying watching his streams at the moment. So that's uh, <laughs> helping, uh, you know, getting some more knowledge for 2.5, looking at lists and, and people playing. So um, um, although I do enjoy watching the Gold Squadron streams, um, Dion uh, streams too late at night for me. Um, so Hexard's quite nice from a UK, European point of view where it's um, sort of on in the evening. 
Exile's my favourite stream. I think I enjoy that the most. Um, I like that it's it's quite multi um, continental, isn't it? Yeah, because he has like um, fun walk on a lot. Who's obviously I think he's from Germany, isn't he? Yeah, it's, that's um, it. Like, it's, it's, it's Death not Rain UK and things like that. Yeah, it's mi- mi- mixing up because you still get the Americans, you still get the Australians. You know, it's sort of yeah. di- different people, different metas coming together, playing games. Um, so yeah, it's it's been quite good fun. So thank you. Um, and the same goes for all content creators. You know, Dylan writing his blog, and you know, Dave mm. and all and all the others. Uh, keep up the good work. Um, because you know this is going to be uh quite a diversive time for the community. So I think having this content's uh nice for everybody to sort of um you know see opinions, make up their own decisions, and and hopefully um everyone can just enjoy X Wing. Um, it's a goodbye from me. Uh, goodbye from Rich. Goodbye. Uh, goodbye from Tim. Goodbye. And um, we'll see you next time. Oh, and uh, I'm glad Liam wasn't here. After all is said and done, well, are you still having fun? Well, you know, ain't been defeated. You don't care.